Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Good morning, church family. It's always great to be here with you. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of the week. We get to gather together and to together um, sing and proclaim the praises of God. So what a wonderful thing that we get to do. Uh, so fun to see uh, that, that God has given us the strength and energy to be here. So very fun to see Miss Judy uh, to point you out there. But it's great to have you back with us. Uh, been a long journey for her. So very thankful that God is uh, bringing her back to where they get to be with us today. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Um, as Rant said, we are nearing the end of our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. So we have this week, and then next week we'll wrap up this sermon. And I hope this has been an encouragement to you. It has really uh, been a delight for my heart as I've studied and thought about the kingdom of God in a new way that I've never really done before. And that is really the big message of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's kind of manifesto or proclamation for what is the kingdom of heaven? What does that mean? And we've talked about this idea of the kingdom of heaven is this place where God reigns coming down and merging itself with where we are at right now. That heaven and earth are meeting together and they're colliding in this place. And right here in between is this thing called the kingdom of heaven. This place where God can rule and reign today. Not just the thing that we wait for in the future, when the future it'll be finally and fully completed But right now, we can experience part of the reality of the kingdom in our life today. And so that is our greatest uh, delight and our, our greatest aim in this whole series. And so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus has been doing is he's been casting this vision for, I want you to see what the kingdom of heaven is like. I want you to understand the glory and the beauty of what it would mean to live this way every day of your life. And as he's cast that vision, he's given us values to live by if we want to experience it right? Because we can see the vision of the kingdom, but to actually be able to experience the glory and the beauty and the goodness of it, he says, here's the values that have to guide your life if you want to have it. And so today we come to another one of those values. um, And it's one that's probably the most well-known statement in all of the Bible. If you were to walk out into the world and say, can you just tell me like one line of the Bible? A lot of people maybe would get John 3, 16. That's pretty common. But I'm I'm very confident this line here is the most well-known Bible phrase in all of the world. Judge not. Right? Judge not. This is a phrase that regardless of, if you know anything about Christianity, the one thing you know is the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. But the reality is, you see this picture here, I kind of played with this on purpose, because the idea here is we know, the world knows the Bible says judge not, but, but that comes with a total disregard for the context wherein Jesus made that statement. And so we separate this one phrase from the context of the sermon, and then we redefine the word judge to mean whatever we want it to mean, and then we cling to this like this is the one Bible truth that trumps everything else. And unfortunately, it really does a lot of damage. Uh, The reality is this idea and this misconception of our world has silenced a lot of Christians. It's caused a lot of us to be very afraid to ever speak up or to ever share what we think is right because we're afraid to be met with this response of, you're not supposed to judge me. And maybe if we're honest, we really don't know what to do when somebody says that to us because it is right. The Bible does say, judge not. And so as we come to this value of the kingdom today, 
We know whatever Jesus meant 2,000 years ago, he still means it for us today. There's still a message that he has for the church today. Even though our culture has changed, even though people's perception of God have changed, he still has something here for us that he wants us to know. And there's still a value here that we need to understand if we want to live and experience the glory of the kingdom of heaven today. And so as we come to this text, we want to get this right. We want to understand the context. We want to hear God's message. uh, And we want to be changed by this value of the kingdom. So I invite you to stand with me uh, in reverence for God's word as we read the first couple verses of Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text today, maybe we've heard this used against us, and maybe we've been very confused by it. God, today, I pray that you would open all of our minds and all of our hearts to understand what it is you're saying to us. Now, Father, this verse doesn't have to be one we're afraid of or nervous about, but this is a beautiful portrayal of life in your kingdom. So, Father, today, I pray that you would help us to get this right. Help us to understand this. I pray that you would convict us, Lord, for the ways that we've missed it. We can miss this in a lot of different ways, Lord, and I pray that you would reveal those to us this morning. And I pray, God, that you would give us a vision for the beautiful reality of what this would look like when it's fleshed out in a home, in a church, in a community, and in your kingdom. So, Father, may that vision move us, and may we allow ourselves to be changed by you. So we pray that you would move among us today, that your spirit would speak to us, and that you would make this real and clear in our lives. And it's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. All right, so before we get into the context of Matthew 7, I want you to remember the character of the one who's talking, right? So obviously this quote is coming from Jesus. And when we think about Jesus, we want to remember, before, before we dissect what he said, we want to remember who he is. And so the Apostle John, as he's writing about Jesus coming to earth, he says this phrase that we're probably pretty familiar with in John chapter 1. And it says, and the word, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, the word became flesh, right? God himself took on a body, he became a man, and he dwelt among us. God of heaven come down, came down, intersected earth, and now all of a sudden God is here. He dwelt among us. And what does John say that experience was like? We beheld his glory. We looked at him and we we saw all the magnificence of who he was. We saw God on display in a person's life. What did that look like? We beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So as John is here and he says, how do I describe this man? How do I describe this, this this God who became man? What was he like? He was full of grace and truth. And so I want these two words to be the guiding posts for us today as we come to this, because the one who said, judge not, is the one who is full of grace and truth. And so however we understand what he was meaning, we have to understand he's teaching something that's in line with his character. When he says, judge not, he is teaching us to live out the reality of one who is full of grace and truth. So remember these two words as we guide our understanding of what does it mean to judge not. So now we go back into Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. This verse 
that can be very misunderstood. Judge not that you be not judged. And so what I want to do is kind of walk through, first of all, what does this not mean? What does it not mean? And it's really important for us to nail this down before we can actually really fully grasp what it does mean because we've heard a lot of false things. And the reality is this is kind of a hard verse to really just summarize because this word judge is a very general word. It's a word that's used all over the Bible in a lot of different contexts. It's used of a judge of a government. It's used of God judging the earth in the end. It's used of, it's used of us, us making discernments of one another. So it's used in so many different ways. And so when Jesus says this, it's not like we just have this little cheat code of, well, this is what he means. So instead, we have to think about the context. (coughs) Excuse me. So as we think about what does it mean to judge, when somebody comes up to you and they says, Christians aren't supposed to judge, judge not. The primary thing that people take that to mean is, is that means I'm not supposed to make any moral judgment about what's right and wrong right? Somebody's saying, you're not supposed to tell me what I can and can't do. You're not supposed to tell me that my actions, my lifestyle, my choices are wrong. Who are you to judge, right? Everybody gets to decide their own right and wrong, okay? That's a very common argument in our culture today, but does it line up with this one who's talking? Well, we think about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 gives a lot of examples. Jesus was very clear there is a moral right and there is a moral wrong, There are things that Jesus says, this affirms the Father's character, and this is the kind of person I want you to be, and there are ways you can live that do not affirm God's character, and I want you to avoid those at all costs. Jesus is very clear. There is a right and there's a wrong. And Jesus, all throughout his ministry, was very clear to tell people, the way you're living is not right. These choices are not good for you. This needs to change. And so whatever this means, it does not mean that we are not supposed to make any moral judgments of something being right or wrong. Well, another way it's often used, kind of the next step of that, is we're often told that judging means that you're not supposed to tell me what is true or false. Who are you to say that what I believe is right or wrong, right? So this is a great argument of our days. There's no absolute truth, right? Everybody's truth is very fluid. Everybody's truth is individual. So your truth may not be my truth, may not be her truth. Is that what this means to not judge? That everybody can have their own truth and God says there is no standard, there is no right, there is no wrong? Well, obviously, Jesus' teaching does not align with that. And so next week, we're going to look at this verse, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus warns, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothes, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Well, here Jesus is saying, look, I want you to judge. I want you to make a discernment about those who are teaching truth and those who are teaching false. Well, how do you do that? There has to be a reality of truth. And Jesus says, it's okay to make a discernment. Does this message align with God's truth? Well, another way that we often take this to mean is we think judgment means that I'm never supposed to consider the character of another person, right? I shouldn't, I shouldn't look at that person and think, you know, there's parts of that person's character that I, I, I don't really agree with. Right? Because that, that's being judgmental. That's being harsh. That's being arrogant. But just a little bit ago in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, But I tell you not to resist an evil person. How do you know an evil person? I don't know about you. I've never had anybody come to me and say, Hey, I, my name is Ben. I'm an evil person. Right? That's not how we discern if someone is an evil person or not. How do we discern an evil person? We discern it by evaluating their character. What are the things we see in this individual? What does this teach us? What does this reveal to us? 
And so if Jesus is telling us to resist this certain kind of person, we have to make a judgment. Is this person that sort of person? So here we are, we see all these things of what it doesn't mean, but what does Jesus mean when he says, judge not? I think maybe this is the best way to think about this. When Jesus says, judge not, he is saying, do not hypocritically condemn others. He's not saying to avoid making judgments, but he is saying avoid being judgmental. Do you understand the difference in those two things? He's not saying it's, it's wrong to, to evaluate a person. He is saying it's wrong to evaluate that person and have this attitude of, of spite or hatred or, or discounting of that individual. You see, if I was trying to find somebody to babysit my children, I want to evaluate that person's character. There are certain kinds of people I would feel comfortable with my kids, and there are certain kinds of people I would not. Jesus isn't saying it's wrong to evaluate people in that way, but he is saying we don't want to be hypocritical and we don't want to condemn. So let's flesh out what that means. Somebody who's judgmental is somebody who has an attitude of a fault finder. They're walking around and they're looking and they're trying to pinpoint and just find every little flaw that somebody has. And when they find those little flaws, they start to assume the worst about that person. Right? So this is someone who's a very harsh critic of others, and they love to just nitpick to find out something that they can complain about. So this is someone who sees a fault, and then they're very ungracious in their response. They see a fault, and instead of moving towards that person to help, they just they kind of move away, and they start to talk down about that individual. They start to assume other things about that individual, and, and all of a sudden, their whole view of that individual is skewed because of this judgmental attitude. And ultimately what happens is sometimes we become very dismissive of people based on what we see. Has that ever happened to you? Without really caring for that individual, we see this fault and all of a sudden we lump them into this category and we say, I want nothing to do with that person. They're a that kind of person. Without knowing that individual, we can look at their appearance, we can look at their life, we can look at where they live, we can look at an action that they make and all of a sudden we are ready to completely dismiss that person. Sometimes we see others making very destructive choices in their life. They're living in ways that are, uh, that are very harsh, very ugly. And all of a sudden, it's very easy in our mind to condemn that person and just to cast them away without ever considering what kind of hurts has this person faced? What's going on in their life that has led them to make some of the decisions that they're making? And so instead of just evaluating their character and being wise in what we see, we just completely dismiss them and throw them out because we think that person is just is, is that kind of person that I want nothing to do with. We are so quick to dismiss the very people for whom Christ died. And why do we do that? Because we think we know the whole story. We don't see things fully as they are, but we really think we do. And we really do think we understand the motives of other people. I know why she did that. I know what she said, but this is really what she meant. And all of a sudden, we can have this attitude that is, that is condemning towards other people. Instead of fighting for unity, we are pushing others away because we're nitpicking and finding faults with, among one another and making those the totality of how we see another person. So grace and truth means I can take into account what I see, but I don't have to become dismissive or judgmental towards that person. 
Instead, I'm willing to move forward towards that person in love and a willingness to help instead of pushing them aside and saying, I have nothing for you and you have nothing for me. But there's this other really important word in there, this idea of hypocrisy. And if you've been with us through the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that's the main point that Jesus has made throughout this whole sermon. He says, I want you to be whole people. I want you to be the same on the inside as you are on the outside. And so it comes to this idea of judging. Just hypocrisy is a huge issue for us. And so as we see in verses three through five, <coughs> excuse me. Hey, thanks. Appreciate that. So this is what Jesus says in verse three. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Jesus says, you hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here's the problem with this idea. When it comes to hypocrisy, we are really good at finding the faults in others and really bad in seeing the faults in ourselves. Right? We can be walking around, this is a great illustration that Jesus gives, a very vivid graphic picture, that we are walking around with a beam in our eye. Well, by default, if you have a beam in your eye, you are not seeing clearly. I think that's what Jesus wants us to understand. Oftentimes, we are walking through life completely blinded to the reality of our own hearts, but we are looking judgmentally at one another, thinking there's a real problem with her. And Jesus says, hello, do you see the own issues of your life? but often we don't. So we're very quick to see the faults in others while not seeing the big issues of ourselves. Have you ever noticed that the things that you struggle with are the things that you're really quick to see in other people? The things that really bug you about others are oftentimes the very things that we struggle with ourselves. One silly one in my life, since I was like three years old, I've been a nail biter. Terrible habit. But when I see other people biting their nails, you know the first thing I do? Don't bite your nails. Don't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's not good. Meanwhile, I'm over here going to town on mine, right? There's something about that that I can see in other people. I'm like, I don't like what I'm seeing. But when it comes to myself, I'm like, well, I got to give myself grace, right? I've only struggled with this for 34 years. I mean, just just be patient with yourself, man. When it comes to other people, you better knock it off. Very good at seeing the fault in others while very quick to dismiss it in ourselves. So when it comes to ourselves, we want grace and mercy. But when it comes to my interaction with others, I want justice and often an attitude of condemnation. So Jesus says, you better watch out. We need to avoid this idea. So if we kind of summarize, what does Jesus mean by judge not? He means don't judge unfairly. Don't hold others to a standard that you yourself don't live up to. Because if this is how you're living with this judgmental attitude, you're never going to experience the joy of the kingdom. That's not what he wants for us. But he doesn't leave us here. He doesn't just leave us with a don't do this type of response. Instead, he moves on and he gives us very clear avenues of how do we actually do it well, right? This is not just something we avoid. It's actually something we're supposed to do well. And so we're going to look at here at three ideas of how do we live with grace and truth well. When I start to feel within my heart this idea of I want to judge that other person, what do I need to do? Well, the first thing we see here is that God tells us to deal with your own heart first. So before you go and start talking to the other person, deal with the own logs in your own eye. Because as we look at this verse, what does he tell us? First, first, key word, remove the plank from your own eye. 
So when I have this judgmental attitude towards someone else, or when I see something in someone else I don't like, what Jesus is saying is the first thing you do in that moment is to stop and evaluate your own heart. When I want to judge other people, is to slow down and think, is this, is this good? Is this right? Or is this loving? Or is there something that God is trying to teach me about myself? Most often, it's the latter. Most often, Jesus is using those opportunities, something we see in somebody else, to teach us a lesson about ourselves. But very often, we skip right over that step and we think the issue is with the other person. But Jesus is saying, no, first evaluate your own heart. So these, these unresolved issues that we carry around our heart blind us from seeing reality accurately. And so what does he tell us to do? He tells us to remove it and to repent of it, right? He says, take action, deal with the things in your heart. Whatever is revealed, deal with it and move on. Don't let it just stay there. Don't leave it because you don't think it's that big of a deal or you've really grown comfortable with the log in your eyes. He says, no, remove it, and then you're actually ready to go help someone else. So be proactive in dealing with our own hearts. So those who understand the kingdom, they long to extend the grace that they have received to other people. You see, when we're in the kingdom, we understand and we can look at our lives and we start to evaluate our own hearts. And we know the wickedness of our hearts. We see God has extended a lot of grace and mercy to me. And those who are just caught up by the grace and mercy they've received are people who are now excited to go share that and extend that to other people. So we deal with our own hearts. And there's a reason he gives us here that's very important for why we want to do this. Take heed of this, he's saying. This is a big deal. Evaluate your heart because verse 2 gives us a very strong warning. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So this is a really important idea for us to capture. And it's something that is not super clear in Scripture, doesn't just exactly define what this looks like, but the warning is very clear. The way that we judge others impacts the way that we will be judged. Do we understand that? Jesus is saying you have an ability to affect the scales of judgment that you are going to experience in your life. That's a big deal. So if I want to hold others to this impossible standard, God says, listen, I don't like hypocrisy. If you want to hold others to this standard up there, just be prepared. We're going to have a discussion about that. There's a way that that's going to be brought back to you because the measure that you use to others is the measure you're going to also receive back to yourself. So if I want to choose to to measure out justice and condemnation and unforgiveness towards other people. But over here, I want to receive an abundance of grace and mercy. Jesus is saying, do you see how hypocritical that is? That's not how life in my kingdom works. That's not, what, that's not who I am as one who is full of grace and truth. So maybe this rings the bell for you when we study the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are those who have experienced God's grace and mercy and who now say, I want to extend that grace and mercy to others. Do you know what Jesus says? You're going to also obtain mercy again. It's this repetitive cycle. As you're pouring out mercy, you're experiencing more mercy in your life. And I think the way this works is because the one who is pouring out mercy and grace is experiencing more and more the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And the more of the kingdom of heaven I'm experiencing, the more abundant God's grace and mercy is experienced in my own life. So do we want to experience that mercy? 
It doesn't happen by carrying around a judgmental attitude. Instead, it happens when we evaluate our own hearts, we deal with the issues we find, and we respond to others with grace in the way that we've received grace. Well, maybe you remember the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. We're not going to look at it, but it's a story you know well. There's a man who owed a tremendous debt, a debt he could never repay, an astronomical amount. And so he goes to the one he owes the debt to, and he says, please just give me a little more time. I will repay you. And the one he owed this money to said, there's no way you could ever repay this. You could live a lot of lifetimes and never repay this. But you know what? Go your way. All of your debt has been forgiven. This debt you could never pay, I've wiped it clean. And so this man goes out, and what would we expect? We would expect he would go out so full of joy and delight at the mercy he'd received that he would be spreading joy and mercy to everyone else. Instead, he goes out, and the first person he comes to, he remembers, this man owes me a little bit of money. And so he goes to that man and says, I demand you pay me all that you owe. And the man couldn't do it. And so he has this man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. Do you see the hypocrisy of this story? Now we have this master who's this picture of God or Christ. How do you think he responds to this hypocrisy? He goes to this one and says, you wicked servant. I gave you all of this grace and mercy and what you did was go out and act in this judgmental, unforgiving, harsh way. Now you're going to experience not the mercy you once had, you are going to experience the justice you're demanding of others. What a sad way to live life. One who has been given access to the beauty of God's mercy, but we live in the confines of justice. We live bound by unforgiveness because we fail to extend the same grace and mercy to others that we ourselves have received. So we want to evaluate our own hearts. Secondly, he goes on to this next section of the passage, verses 7 through 11, and at first they seem really disconnected. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For whatever you ask, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven, your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, at first, this seems very disconnected. Jesus was just telling us about judgment, and now he's shifting to this idea of asking and seeking and knocking. But reality is these two things are very connected. So what we see here is someone who is tasked with this goal of saying, okay, Jesus is saying, I'm supposed to help other people in my life. That's a scary reality. And so he's saying, look, what I want you to do is ask, seek, knock. I want you to come to me asking for wisdom. And look at the way this one comes. And I love this picture, being a dad with young kids. I get to see this fleshed out every day. How does a child respond when they want a snack? Mom, can I have a snack? Right, there's this asking phase. And what does the child expect? In that moment of asking, they expect mom to respond. Because they know mom's a good mom and she longs to give me good snacks. But sometimes mothers have the audacity to not respond right away. So what does that child do? Do they sit patiently and just, I'll wait, I'll give mom some time? No. They are seeking mama out. They're gonna look all over that house until they find mama because they have a message and a request for mama. And so they find her, they seek her. But sometimes moms shut the doors. 
Sometimes moms will even lock a door because they need a moment for their sanity. What happens when a child meets a closed door? Well, mother must be busy this moment. I will wait for her. My growling stomach isn't the priority of this moment. No. Mom, I still need a snack. To which mom finally says, after it's been asked, after she's been sought, after the child will not stop knocking, you may go get a snack. And the child walks away and life is good. Mother has come through once again. It took asking, it took seeking, and it took knocking, but mom came through. So Jesus is saying the same thing here. When we are put in this position of evaluating our own hearts and trying to figure out, God, how do we live with grace and truth in this world? How do I live and evaluate what is right without becoming judgmental? This is hard. He says, ask, seek, and knock, and everything that you need, I'm going to give you. If you need wisdom, I'm delighted to pour it out to you. If you need conviction for what's going on in your heart, I'm delighted to give you that as well. Because our Father gives us exactly what we need. He gives us what is good and what is right for us in that moment. Sometimes we come saying, God, give me wisdom for how to set her straight. And he says, here's the wisdom you need. Deal with with the bitterness in your heart. Well, that's kind of like the kid who comes up asking mom for a snack. And they're like, sure, you can go have some celery. Kid's like, oh, mom, you have not understood the question. There's a failure to communicate right now. Oftentimes we come to God and we say, God, fix this person. Give me wisdom to change this individual. And he says, no, you know what? I actually let you see that because there's a part of your heart that really needs to be dealt with. And so what is the second proper response? When I feel this attitude of judgmental focus towards others, I want to deal with my own heart and then I want to humbly seek God's wisdom and correction. You see, a good citizen of the kingdom, this is what they want. They want the correction if that's what's needed. They want the wisdom if that's what's needed. And they know they can trust the character of the one they are going to ask for it. So God is inviting us to ask. This is how we live with grace and truth because we don't know how to do it. We're not good at it. It doesn't come natural to us. But when we ask, seek, and knock from the one who is full of grace and truth, he'll show us what we need to know. And finally... We come to this third idea in verse 5 and 6. Jesus said, You hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I know verse 6 is a tough one, okay? And we're going to get there. But first, I want you to look at verse 5. So he tells us, look, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here, maybe, maybe if we're just one of those people that love to correct others, we're like, finally, he says, I get to go talk to him about the issue. It's not really the heart of this passage. The heart of this passage is, okay, once we've actually dealt with our own hearts, once we've sought God in a proper posture of wisdom and humility, then and only then and then and only then after patience and waiting and patience, okay. Now we're ready to go actually help this other individual. But it's interesting to me that when Jesus talked about the way that we help others, he chose the eye. He didn't talk about, you know, have you ever had a splinter in your finger and sometimes that hurts? I'm I'm a baby with the splinters, right? Like I got to do my knife myself. But it's very different if something's in my eyeball, right? 
eyes are sensitive places. If somebody's trying to help me get something out of my eye, I've got to really trust that individual. I'm going to really pray they don't sneeze at the wrong moment. But when you think of this idea, if somebody's looking for a speck, they're looking for something small. Have you ever been to the eye doctor? That's a very intimate encounter, right? Because they're all up in your face. They got their big magnifying goggle things on, and they're like shooting right down into your eye, right? This is a face-to-face interaction that is totally done in this setting that's very gentle. If there's something in my eye, I'm desperate for you to help me get it out, but man, I sure want you to be gentle when you do it. And I sure want you to put on however many magnifying glasses you need to to actually see in there. I don't want you poking the wrong places. I don't want you pulling the wrong things out. I want you to see clearly, and I want you to be gentle. What does that sound like? sounds like grace and truth. I want you to see clearly in truth, and I want you to be gentle, and I want you to be gracious. And so how do we actually do this? We want to be people. When we, when we see faults in other people, we've all got them. We want to be people who help one another in this spirit of love and grace, truth and grace, gentleness in every step of the way. We want to deal with real issues, but we want to do it in a way that's gracious and gentle. And now we come to verse 6, which again seems just, where did you just go? Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. And we want to be really careful here of what Jesus is saying. Now, now in our culture, this, this comes across extremely offensive. He's talking about people here, right? So I, this is not a recommendation saying, okay, what we need to do is go out to the world and start telling people you're actually a dog, you're actually a swine. It's not the game plan. Dogs and swine of those days were considered unclean animals, Okay? They were animals that you could say don't fit within the kingdom. They are, they, they're, they're pictured as these animals that are kind of outside of the city. We don't go snuggle up to them. It's not like Fluffy at home. And it's not like that whole new fad of potbelly pigs that we let run around our house, right? This isn't that. These aren't cute animals. These are animals that, 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 that this audience avoided. And what is Jesus saying here? You know, when, when people came and brought their sacrifices to the temple... Sometimes there was extra things left over. And what did they do with that? They didn't go outside and just throw it in the street because an unclean animal could come eat that. And they'd say, this sacrifice was a holy thing, and now this dirty, unclean animal is eating it. That's not right. And so instead, they would burn all that's left as 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 a sign of respect and reverence. And so what is Jesus saying here? He says, there are people in this world who do not want to hear the message that you have to share. There are people in this world who want nothing to do with the beauty of the kingdom. As you, rep- as you present this vision to them of God's kingdom, they don't want anything to do with it. Now, this is different than somebody who is curious, who doesn't know. It's not saying, don't waste your time on people who have a bunch of questions. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. But he is saying, when you are met with somebody who's hostile, who, who is arrogant, who just wants to fight, Don't give this beautiful thing to them because they're going to destroy it. So there's two reasons here. He says not to do it. First, they're going to trample it under their feet. You're offering them this beautiful thing. You're trying to argue them into the kingdom and they're going to throw it down and just step on it. They've taken this beautiful message and they just destroyed it. And and as a result, what happens? They go out and start to destroy it to other people. Where do we see this fleshed out in our world? This is social media 101. 
This is that feeling of, I'm going to argue this person till they finally become convinced that God is real and that they should trust him. Instead, all they do is that they're not seekers. They are hostile people who want nothing to do with your message. And so they're going to rip you apart. And in turn, they're going to, they're going to destroy the Christian. They're going to make something that's supposed to be beautiful and make it ugly to everyone else who's going to watch. So we actually do more damage by continuing to try to force feed those who don't want the message. And then they will turn and they will tear you to pieces. He says, you know what? There's a lot of danger in this. There are people who don't want to hear your message and they, they don't mind to destroy you and to put you down and to be harsh to you anytime you want to share it. So what's the message we're supposed to learn from this and this third idea? To live with grace and truth, I come alongside and help those who want help. Right? We're patient with people. It's not saying, well, I told you that one time three years ago and you didn't change, so I want nothing to do with you. You're just a dog anyway. It's not the attitude here. We are patient with people and we give them time to change, but we don't think and we don't have this idea that I can argue and convince people into believing a message they don't want to believe. We can't force people to change. We can try to help them, but if they don't want help, Jesus says, let them go, release them. Because maybe God will do other things in their life that will open up their hearts to him, but right now is not that time. So we come alongside and we help. So as we get to this whole idea of what does it mean to live with grace and truth, we realize there is a really proactive component to this. It's not saying just I identify faults in other people and I just stand back and be like, man, she's really got a problem. No, God is telling us, deal with your issues and then go to that one. Be a helper. But how do we help? We come alongside. We don't stand over here at somebody and say, you know what, your life really is a mess. You should get all that right. Just, just follow, you know, just do, just, just come on. We come alongside them, we put our arm around them, we say, I'm here to walk through this with you. This is going to be hard, but I'm going to be here with you every step of the way. It's going to be ugly, but I am not going to leave you. Why would we do that to somebody? Because that's exactly what we've seen our God do to us. He is full of grace and he's full of truth. We love one another, we deal with real issues because that is how a body of believers stays stays united and that's how we grow up into good members of the kingdom of heaven but we do it in a way that's full of grace and full of truth. And so now we come to verse 12 where Jesus wraps up this portion of the sermon. And really, this is kind of the the conclusion to the whole sermon. And then next week, he kind of, or our last text next week is kind of the the, the final conclusion part. But here's kind of his summary of the whole argument, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So how do we want others, how do we, how do we want to be treated with the shortcomings in our life? Do I want others to confront me when there's problems? Yes. Do we want to ignore the problems in our life that we don't see? No. But do I want somebody to come at me and help me with the spirit of condemnation and hypocrisy and a judgmental attitude? No. But I do want somebody to come alongside of me who is full of grace and full of truth. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a place like this? Where if we were surrounded by people who were practicing living this model, who were walking examples of people who were living out God's character of being full of grace and truth, that would be a home we'd, we'd want to be a part of. That would be a church family we wouldn't, we'd want to be a part of. That's a community we want to be a part of. That's the vision that Jesus is giving us. This is a beautiful thing when it's done well. But man, we can really screw it up 
We can become judgmental and miss it on that side, or we can become afraid and be silenced on this side and get it wrong. We've got to be careful in this. But when we get it right, this is a thing of beauty. So may we be a people who live out the character of our King. May we be people who are full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much as we look at our own lives and we see our own failures that you are so patient with us. God, you are merciful beyond all measure. You are patient and gracious and kind even though we fail you time and again, again and again. Yet your grace continues to be poured out to us. Father, may that reality move us. May that change us. May that change how we see others. May that, may that change how we see the struggling individual who we see in our world. God, may your character be fleshed out in us. Thank you for the amazing opportunity we have to embody your character of one who is full of grace and truth. God, give us wisdom to do this. May we do this well. May we have the wisdom to know when to speak and when to be quiet. May we have the wisdom to know how to be gracious as we share with others things that we see in their life. May we be people who are open to having friends who we trust speak truth to us. God, keep us united on this endeavor. Thank you for, your beauty, for the beauty of your kingdom. And may we exemplify that here in Graham County and beyond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.